Blog Talk Radio. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Trundle, the Trundle Bed Tales podcast. This is your host Sarah Utah, and I am the host and creator of Trundle Bed Tales. Find us around the web under Trundle Bed Tales and on your favorite social media platform. If you listen or just have an account on iTunes, please leave positive feedback because that helps people find the show. And today we are doing episode 105, High Heat, Old Fashioned Clothes. And we're going to be talking about how and why people wear those terribly long-sleeved, long-skirted outfits when they're doing losing history during the summer, and if it really bothers them as much as you think. But before we get too far into that, we have our uh, housekeeping. But if you hear that sound, which is the noise made by washing metal plates in a metal wash tub on the stove, then you know it's time for a little housekeeping. And here on Trundle Bed Tales, our housekeeping means giving you the information you may need about the show. If you ever want to listen to an episode live, but you don't want to just stream it through the computer, you can call in at 714-242-5253. That's 714 714- Two four two five two five three or toll free one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. That's toll free one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. You can also use those same numbers to call in and ask a question and otherwise be on the show. Just make sure that you hit one when they ask you to so the little symbol comes up and I know you have a question so that you want to talk. Anytime you're streaming an episode, you can also join in the chat room. Unless there's some technical issue, I always open it up. And we actually have very good news in that the chat box seems to finally be working absolutely perfectly again. And when the show uh, first started, we did a lot of stuff with the chat box and people uh, commenting and, and going back and forth. And we really have had zero use for quite a while. And part of that was the system they were using for the chat room did not want to open most of the time. And I think people have kind of given up on it. But happy thought. There is going to, or it, it seems to be working now. So if you ever want to do a chat then it looks like we have the way to do it, which is great. Now, in terms of what's going on with, uh, with Trundle Bed Tales and what you can find, we are, have, um, I have two 
definite programs booked in August, and I have one possible one, which they really have to to decide yes or no on because it's August 3rd. But uh, we are, uh, we're going to have some more um, programs coming up. Uh, I have, um, I've been kind of holding off on my update for August because I don't know that. And as soon as I know for sure if the third is on or not, I'll be doing an episode telling you all sorts of things that are coming in and what's in the news in Laura fandom this month. Uh, I also want to direct you to our YouTube channel, which has also been kind of desolate in recent years, but um, they've changed some settings and things, so it's easier for me to get in again. And so I have posting episodes there. And right now, um, in the last month, we did an In the Kitchen with Laura braiding onions and my very first unboxing video. And tomorrow is Friday. We're trying to load them every other Friday. And I must admit, last Friday got missed. So it's been, uh, so this will be the third week instead of the second. Uh, but I have an episode that's another unboxing video. So I hope you will enjoy that. And I think for now, that's all we have for housekeeping. So this really is one of the questions we get asked an awful lot. In fact, uh, I was doing uh, some cooking demonstrating out at Usher's the last week in June, I think it was. Must have been, yeah, the last week in June out at Usher's Fairy Historic Village where I used to work. Um, They don't have uh, events like they used to anymore, but they have some smaller ones, and they had me out for one doing some demonstration, and I got asked then, uh, aren't you hot in that a couple of different times? And when people are asked that, I mean, you may say any number of things, but there's really two answers, and that's either going to be no, not really, or can't you see the sweat running off of my face? So uh, why is it a lot of times when you're walking around and you're feeling hot, uh, the people could honestly say, no, it really isn't bothering me wearing old-fashioned clothes? And I want to talk about that just a little bit. The first is that the human body really is not that accurate of a thermometer. And there's an old science experiment that uh, was always in kids' craft books and uh, things like that, where you, you that kind of explains this. You have three bowls of water. You have one that's cold that you can put some ice in, even one that is lukewarm, which you know is just sort of room temperature, and then one that is very warm. So we're not talking anything that would burn you to put your hand in, but it is definitely um, quite warm. Maybe something like, you know, the temperature that you drink tea at or coffee, that kind of temperature. Uh, And so the instructions are always to put uh, your hand, one hand in the cold bowl and one hand in the hot bowl. And then I think it depends kind of on uh, which set of directions you're looking at, but then you leave your hands in there for 
you know, 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, whatever the, the instructions say. Uh, and then you put both hands in the middle bowl and your brain kind of goes, what? Because it is telling you that that third bowl in the center is both warm, very warm, and very cold. So the one that was in your hand that was in the hot bowl is now thinking, boy, this is a lot cooler. And your hand that was in the cold bowl thinks, boy, this is a lot warmer. And so um, your your brain kind of goes, what? <laughs> but that has to, but it's that relativity is part of it, is why you might think that uh, they'd be hotter than they necessarily were. And because you might be hot and they may not be. Now, part of that is how you read things like temperature is what you are used to. And if your body has been trained to be used to something, then it's going to reflect differently than if it hasn't been. Uh, an example of that I always like to give that isn't temperature related, but uh, my grandfather was diagnosed with a heart problem, uh, eh, let's say about 10 years before he died, roughly. And we had all these old family recipes that we'd made all the time. And my grandmother was very scrupulous about trying to keep him from having too much salt because that was one of the things they'd really um, focused on at least at that time was that you had to reduce your salt. So she, when she baked things, she had cut back the salt dramatically. And as you're sitting there having the horrible thing that he died, you try and think of something, anything good that you can point to about this. And one of the things we thought of was, well, we can go back to our old recipes the way we'd always had them. Surely they were better that way. Well, Having been trained to, I'm certain, certainly he had less salt than what we were eating, but we'd been trained to not really expect that much salt. And when we made them with the full amount of salt, we, they were so salty we couldn't hardly stand it. And that is also the, the way it is with heat. If you are in a place where you are air conditioned all the time, you are going from an air-conditioned house to an air-conditioned car to an air-conditioned office, and then back again, that you run air conditioning all the time, that you, um, especially if you run it like meat locker cold, um, you are going to really not, you're going to sap your body's ability to take heat. You are training your body to function at that cold temperature. And when it takes you take it into the hot temperature, you are going to feel it a lot more than someone who doesn't use air conditioning that much or who doesn't have air conditioning at their house. We don't. My research building does. The house doesn't. Uh, and um, see, because humans are much more flexible than artifacts. But anyway, uh, so if you have trained yourself to be in warmer temperatures, they truly do not bother you as much as they would somebody who had been, uh, was really used to being in a low temperature all the time. So 
part of the reason why they're okay is if you're at a living history site, especially if you're working there, or even if you're there volunteering on the weekends or, you know, anything like that, or going out to, to various events and you're spending a lot of your time outside, you are going to get more acclimatized to that warm weather. And so it's going to take more heat to really bother you than uh, compared to someone who is used to air conditioning. So that's, that's part of it. Uh, part of it, why they might not be as hot as you are, um, is in the design. And there used to be a lot of things about how things were designed that let you uh, have, um, well, to deal with the heat more effectively. For example, uh, instead of having the oven going or a wood stove going in the center of your house, they might have a summer kitchen to keep that heat out of the house and the living space, which is actually a small um, not insulated at all kind of shed that would have uh, probably a table and a stove and whatever other equipment they wanted to have out there. And that would be where you do your cooking during the summer. Uh, it might be that uh, if you were in a house, now this certainly isn't true of all historic buildings, but the way they design buildings today is not the way they used to design them. And it used to be that houses were designed with a much um, more defined sense of airflow, that you would have windows that, uh, certain windows that you could open that would help draw the air through the house that there might be transoms over doors that have to be shut, which are sort of um, windows that means folks function is to open up so the air can throw, uh, flow through them. Uh, you might have uh, summer dressing on the house. So a lot of times when you think Victorian, you're thinking, you know, heavy velvets and thick material and all these heavy silks. And, uh, thick rugs on the floor and stuffed furniture and all that. And um, you might do, back then, they probably would have done something called summer dressing where you would like put sheets over that, uh, cotton sheets over that heavy material or you'd roll up the some of the carpets or you might do, you know, any number of things. So when people say it, it's, sort of the opposite of what people say when it's in the winter and they lose their power and they go, oh, it's just like Loring with Wilder. It isn't like Loring with Wilder at all. Her house was built to deal with uh, how you had to function with the heat. And uh, your house really was built to deal with um, air conditioning and central heat, so it's designed differently. And even the design of the clothes was going to be different uh, because it isn't just that you would be covered in cloth in summer. Your clothes are going to be much out of much thinner material, uh, out of cotton uh, most likely. And you're going to, like if you might have long sleeves on, 
but they're going to have, be constructed so that they may not be touching your arm everywhere, and there may well be a um, you know enough air that can go around your arm, so you're going to be mostly touching air and not touching the cloth itself. Or you know when you have on um, you know a long skirt and you know less uh, a long skirt and not your full winter underwear, then there's going to be a lot of air coming up that way too. Now, um, and that's of course for females, but males, it's sort of a, a similar thing. Now we, uh, when it's really, really extremely hot, even a reenactor might cut back on, you know, some of what they're wearing in terms of clothes. But for the most place, part, people weren't crazy. They weren't deliberately trying to hurt themselves. That, uh, it was, they were designed to be wearable. A lot of living history people uh, want to make sure that they call their clothes old-fashioned clothes like I did in the name of this one rather than saying uh, that they were a costume because they were clothes that people designed to wear all the time. It was um, how they expected to dress and they weren't deliberately picking something that would hurt them. Uh, and also a matter of timing is important for when it's heat. And this is something that the living history person is at a far disadvantage to people who were really living back then. Because if you were really living back then, there is a lyric by Noel Coward where he talks about uh, only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the heat of the midday sun. And that's kind of right in that if it's extremely hot out, you get up early, you do your stuff in the cool of the morning, you rest in the middle of the day, or you have things that aren't very physical to do in the middle of the day. And then you have do more energetic things in the cool of the evening. Now, you can't always do that, of course. But that would be something that you would definitely try and do because it would it would be a lot easier and a lot healthier for you to have that kind of schedule. And unfortunately, when you're doing living history, you have to uh, do your tasks when people show up. But that doesn't mean that there can't be some variety on it. So when I worked at Usher's Ferry, most weekends, or Wednesdays during the summer, I would have the stove going and I would cook something. I cooked an awful lot of biscuits, uh, but I cooked other things too. But on days when I knew it was going to be really hot, I didn't start a fire in the stove. I made ginger water instead. And that's something uh, too, that you can make sure that you're kind of doing activities that are, are key to how hot or cold it is. Now, uh, one of the things that you should know is uh, you want to make sure that you drink a lot uh, and stay hydrated. I have actually done this myself because I, uh, the first year I was going to Old Thrasher's uh, with my niece and nephew, I was so focused on making sure they had enough to drink that I really wasn't paying attention enough to myself. And I should have known, if I didn't know before, I should have known that when I got the sarsaparilla and I drank it almost immediately on one drink, 
I should have known that I was dehydrated and I needed to sit down in the shade for a while. And I tried to power through and that was a bad plan um, because I got feeling really terrible. And um, it, you can avoid that by staying hydrated. Now, uh, you can't drink all the cold water you want, though, because if you are drinking a lot of cold water and you are hot, what's going to happen is you are, your stomach is going to cramp up. And I managed to do that to myself one time too, because of course I apparently am much better at giving advice than in taking it. But um, I was, uh, I, uh, um, if you drink, I'm sorry, I was trying to find this recipe, and so I am talking when I should just be focusing on typing or vice versa because I want to make sure to give you the recipe for this. And it's um, so can do and drinking uh, cold water you can drink cold ginger water and you can drink as much of that as you want now this is something that Laura talks about uh, in the book she talks about it when they're making hay into smet and frankly ginger water that's a lot of the time when you would be drinking it because you'd be have to be out in the heat of the day and you would be having to do all this exercise even though it was hot and so uh, they and ginger water instead of regular water. And here are the ingredients. Three-fourths cup packed brown sugar, one teaspoon powdered ginger, one-half cup cider vinegar, one quart cold water, and one teaspoon baking soda. Now, this is based on the recipe in the Barbara Walker cookbook, but I have changed it a little bit after having talked to my grandfather who uh, remembered them making this in his family when he was little. So basically what you have is the brown sugar, and you put that in first, and the ginger. And then you pour the cider vinegar in. Uh, and uh, this is into the pitcher you're, you're going to have it in. And you stir it up. I usually use a wooden spoon, but you can use any spoon, really. And dissolve the brown sugar and the ginger into the cider vinegar. Then you pour in the quart of cold water and stir it through. So now it's um, basically a concentrate that's been diffused through the water. And then you put in a teaspoon of baking soda and stir it. Now what's going to happen then? Time for a quick science lesson. Uh, Cider vinegar is... Um, an acid and baking soda is a base. And if you remember back to science class, a a base and an acid, when they are mixed together, cause an explosion. Now, if you don't know what I'm meaning, think of all those times on TV where uh, they're doing a homework assignment and make a volcano and it goes kablooey and lava goes everywhere. That is because they mix of basing, uh, baking soda with uh, some kind of acid. So what's going to happen in your pitcher is it's going to foam up and there's going to be all this fizz and that is really in in the time Laura was living, a lot of living history sites uh, 
are talking are in the pre-carbonation era. So you really didn't have anything fizzy or um, except for something like this. So that was a unique treat. And it being uh, both the kind of foam and having the ginger in there uh, really allows your stomach to deal with having the cold liquid. So you can drink as much cold ginger water as you want and you'll be perfectly fine. So I personally can recommend it. I find that it's a very divisive topic that people either really love it or they really hate it. And um, if you go onto my blog, there is a post where I have this recipe for ginger water. And I also on there have a link to um, the video I made of it with my niece and nephew. It's uh, also, you can find it direct on the YouTube or on Vimeo. It's posted both places. And you can make some ginger water with me. Now, the other thing that you'll see, which has very similar ingredients, but it's slightly different, and that's called switchel. You'll hear people talking about uh, both ginger water and switchel. They're, they're very, very close in what they are. There's, it isn't much of a difference at all, but they're, they are two different things. And while we're talking about drinking, the other thing that you need to know is if you are out in the heat is that it isn't just the water that you are losing by not becoming hydrated. There is also electrolytes. And that is what you really get from drinking something. And I'm just going to say one brand because it's, I think, by far the best known, even though um, there definitely have competitors. But Gatorade uh, with, is uh, something that can help you restore the electrolytes. Another thing that is a little more historically accurate if you're out on a um, in a living history situation is pickle juice, which has a lot of those same ingredients in it. And a lot of times at living history places, they will sell huge dill pickles. And I can tell you when I worked the concession stand at Usher's Ferry on those hot days, that was about the only time where I could sit down and eat a pickle like it was an apple. And it was because in sweating, I'd lost a lot of those things and my body was craving it. And, and by eating the pickle, I was getting some of it back. And also, if you are out, no matter what you're, you're wearing, whether you're wearing old-fashioned clothes or a more modern ones, uh, try and get cold water. You can put it on your wrists on the back of your neck, pretty much any place that there are um, kind of pulse points and having uh, wet rags right under you or some people even will wet their, uh, one of their petticoat layers. So they're getting that kind of coolness around. Uh, another place if um, you are, especially if you are feeling the heat really badly is to also, um, get cold water in sort of your groin area because that tends to be sort of a bundle of heat for the body too. Now, I 
I'm checking over my notes because I think I mostly hit everything here I wanted to. Yeah. So when people say, if they say they're not really hot when they're living uh, wearing living history clothes, they are probably telling the truth. It really, if you're used to it, if you have the right system, if you're actually wearing accurate clothes and actually in an accurate house, if you're taking preventative steps by staying hydrated, restoring uh, electrolytes if you've been sweating and having um, a, in situations that allow lots of air movement, you probably are really going to be fine. Um, it is something though to watch. And unfortunately, if you ever do get heat stroke um, or heat exhaustion, where your body starts kind of to shut down uh, due to to being in the heat and losing all this, um, all all the electrolytes and things it needs, it will uh, you'll never really be able to stand the heat as well as you did once you get a, a decent true case of it so be preventative now um, try and get outside in the summer a little bit more drink lots of water when it's hot drink something with electrolytes try ginger water which is really great and I hope that answers any questions that you would have about wearing high or old-fashioned clothes in the high heat Thank you for joining me here on Trendle Bed Tales. If you enjoyed today's episode, check out other ones of the podcast and my uh, videos and my blog posts. And remember to always brighten the corner where you are. (laughs) 